From the studio in Sun City, Arizona Boomer Radio presents Wealth DNA with Ron the Ronald Naraki. Wealth DNA gives you insights and methods for increasing your net worth. Ron's experience dealing with local and international markets give him insights that can be valuable to any investor. Now here's the host of the show, Ron Naraki. Hello and welcome to the holiday edition of the Wealth DNA Radio Show. This is the sixth day of Hanukkah, the Jewish festival of lights, and only three days away from the start of Christmas, that 12-day holiday. As always, we're honored that you're joining us today. Now, regardless of whether you're listening live to the archive of the show, I'm confident you will be really glad you joined us today. I have a feeling this show will influence your New Year's resolutions like no show ever has before. It might even solve your dilemma of what to get for a financially challenged person among your friends or family as a last-minute gift. It just might be that perfect last-minute gift. And remember, if you don't gain some new knowledge during this hour, we have a double-your-money-back guarantee. Guarantee We'll refund double what you paid to listen. Now, our guest today is to help us wrap up our series on financial literacy, which we kicked off with Sharon Lecter. I guess you would say this show will put the bow and ribbon on our series. We have a tradition of using a quote to set the stage for the topic, so let me share one for today's show, which I felt was extremely appropriate. Concern yourself more with accepting responsibility than with assigning blame. Let the possibilities inspire you more than the obstacles discourage you. Let me reread that. I think it's a great quote. Concern yourself more with accepting responsibility than with assigning blame. Let the possibilities inspire you more than the obstacles discourage you. That quote is from Ralph Marston, the Daily Motivator. Incidentally, during my summary, I'll also share a wonderful quote for the season. Now, I've recently been talking about the financial holy grail, which I define as income for life. So that's the goal of getting an education, working hard, saving, and investing wisely to build a portfolio that provides us income for life the Holy Grail. Today, I'll be asking our guest for his advice on almost every aspect of achieving that Holy Grail. Today is Monday, December 22nd, 2014. It's 9.02 a.m. here in Arizona, 11.02 a.m. on the East Coast, and 17.02 in continental Europe. Now, it's the only day ever like it. We'll do everything possible to make it a great one. You're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. The show airs every second and fourth Monday at 9 a.m. in Arizona. Now, I certainly hope you can join us each time we air, but if you miss some shows like the earlier ones in the series, we want you to re-listen to them so you can find them on the archive. Go to www.wealthdna.us where we list each of the shows, both upcoming and archived. Our sponsor today is BI Solutions Corp., a residential real estate fund in the Phoenix, Scottsdale area. Now, the U.S. equity markets, which have gone absolutely nowhere for the last two weeks, but they've taken a very bumpy road to get there. They're off to a positive start. Asia was up overnight, Europe is up, and Brazil is the only one down. Now, the advantage of joining us for the live show is you get to ask questions or make comments either using the chat window below the radio player, and if you uh, scroll down, you'll see that, or by calling in. If you're listening to the archive, by the way, neither of those options will work. Trust me on that. On the other hand, if you listen to the archive of the show, especially 10 or 20 years in the future, you'll have some history to see what this show would have impacted in your wealth accumulation had you known in listening today. 
Our special guest is to discuss financial literacy, Blame Yourself, is Larry Wingett. He's also known as the pit bull of personal development. Larry is a six times New York Times and Wall Street Journal best-selling author. His books include, and I'll only name a few, People Are Idiots and I Can Prove It, Shut Up, Stop Whining and Get a Life, and the newest, Grow a Pair. He's a member of the International Speaker Hall of Fame, as you'll notice from his style of speech. has starred in his own television series and appeared in national television commercials, as well as a number of news shows on topics of money, personal success, parenting, and business. Let's give a warm radio welcome to Larry Wingett. Welcome, Larry, and thank you for joining us today. No, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Now, I gave a brief overview of your background. How do you introduce yourself at a cocktail party? I usually stand in the corner so I don't have to. But, don't believe um, <laughs> When I, I do introduce myself, I just typically say best-selling author um, or I write best-selling books. I give speeches and I'm on television. I don't go into a lot. Usually that's enough to have people want to know more. So mm -hmm. uh, I keep it simple. Well, and that's really the purpose of the uh, of, of you know kind of an elevator speech or a quick intro is to get people to say, "Tell me more." So that would definitely do it. Well, now, you know, when you dress like I do and look like I do and have my <laughs> style, people always want to know more. So I don't have to do a whole lot to get them asking questions. <laughs> All right, and yeah, we do have pictures up so people will get a feel for uh, what you're like. And uh, by the way, my wife doesn't think you look quite look a, like a pit bull, so she's wondering what that pit bull of uh, personal development really means. But we'll find out, I think, during this show. Now, our overall topic in this series is financial literacy, so let's start with how you learned the basics of personal finance. Did your parents provide you some guidance or at least a positive role model? Well, I grew up dirt poor in Muskogee, Oklahoma, and there wasn't a lot of money for us to worry about, so it was always pretty simple for me. You didn't spend money you didn't have. You didn't borrow money you couldn't pay back. Uh, you just did the right thing with your money, and regardless of how much you had or how little you had. You put some of it away, which is saving, and you always thought about the future, which is investing, and you were always charitable. Uh, and I grew up um, in a small rural community, so charitable meant tithing. For me these days, it just meant means do the right thing for those people who uh, who aren't able to take care of themselves. So those three principles were taught to me and shown to me, even though we didn't have a whole lot of money. Well said. I, I, I'm going to tell you, we're probably going to quote you on some of those things in the future. Now, did you, how about in school? Did you have some courses in personal finance? Did your teachers provide you some guidance that you found useful? <laughs> Absolutely zero. We don't teach anything to kids these days about how to manage their money. Parents aren't doing a good job of doing that either. The only thing that happened to me in school that taught me about money is when in the eighth grade a kid walked in and, and uh, to my civics class and said, hey, Wingett, are you so poor you only got one pair of blue jeans? And it was true. I only had one pair of blue jeans. Mm -hmm. I had a rip in the pocket, and I was busted and humiliated. And what it taught me was don't be poor. And I made a decision at 13 years old in the eighth grade I was going to do whatever it took to get rich. It was that humiliation, that embarrassment that provided the impetus for me to go out and do whatever it took. And the only thing I knew how to do, because I didn't have any rich role models, the only thing I knew how to do was just work harder than everybody else. And so that's always been my approach to 
personal success as well as business success. And it's because it's not really always about how much you know. It's about how hard you work. Mm-hmm. And, but when you combine a basis of knowledge and research uh, and being good at what you do, along with the fact that you're just out willing to work everybody else, you'll end up successful. Well said again. Well said again. And uh, well, of I course, like, it's I like well that. said. It's what I do. Say thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, you draw a great parallel. The only difference is I couldn't afford blue jeans, and actually, the schools probably didn't allow them. And when I when I where I grew up, uh, we had to wear regular pants. I only had one pair of slacks each school year, and then you tend to outgrow them and stuff like that. And and kids today don't have any clue of what that means. Uh, and, and most parents don't, uh, you know, don't want to treat their kids that way, even though it probably wasn't so bad for us. But before we dig into specifics, share with our listeners how they contact you, learn more about the Pitbull of Personal Development. What's the best website? Just Larry Wingett, L-A-R-R-Y-W-I-N-G-E-T, LarryWingett.com. You'll find everything in the world you want to know about me. And you can go to YouTube, and I do a weekly series called Ask Larry Anything. I have a new uh, online TV show called Grow a Pair TV coming out uh, uh, in another month. I'm wow. easy to find on Facebook, Larry Wingett fan page, Twitter, Larry Wingett, LinkedIn, Instagram. I might be the easiest guy in the world to find. <laughs> Love it. All right. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I had uh, heard about the t- YouTube. I have not signed up for that yet, so I am definitely going to do that. Now, today, you're not dependent on government support to pay your bills. Was part of that financial success because your employers paid you well and maybe you have one of those great pension plans we hear stories about these days? No, didn't have anything to do with any of that. The fact that when I made money, I was smart with my money. That's the reason I do well today. And I still make money because I provide a lot of value to the people who are willing to engage me. That's what it comes down to. But it wasn't because I was paid better than anybody else. It was because I went out there and earned a lot of money uh, the hard way by doing it right and then being smart with what I was uh, paid. So you did more than what you were paid for, which led to you being paid more. That's exactly right. Well said again. Hey, uh, share a little bit about your financial history. I, 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 I recall you went through some of a financial roller coaster in your life as well, a bit like the stock market over the last 10 years. You had some down uh, down periods. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I, I already explained that I grew up dirt poor mm-hmm. and figured out how to get rich by working and uh, working harder than most people. I was in... Um, uh, sales at AT&T and Southwestern Bell. I started out as a telephone operator at Southwestern Bell when I left 10 years later. I was area sales manager for AT&T for the state of Kansas. I like selling uh, because no one capped how much money I can make. It was all based on how hard I was willing to work. Mm -hmm. So that was a good avenue for me to go into. When I left AT&T at Divestiture, I started my own telecommunications company, again, did really well at that. Started out with me, and I, I got a technician that was willing to install telephone systems that I sold. Soon I could outsell mm-hmm. his ability to put the, the phone systems in, and soon he could, uh, my team of installers could install more uh, phone systems, and I was able to sell. So I hired more salespeople, and that's how I built a company. I went to work one day, and rich guy, owned my own company, had three offices, doing great. And the Corporation Commission ruled that what I was doing as the basis of my business was no longer going to be legal. And I literally went to work a rich guy, 
and went home that day, I'd lost everything because I didn't get grandfathered in, and I was mm-hmm. out of business. So I went from broke to rich to lost it all, and because I was the guy who had signed all the notes, I lost it all and went bankrupt trying to cover that company's business, uh, loans and so forth. And that was a real shock, being in my neighborhood, being the president of the company, and then came home that day, and what I started doing was asking my neighbors whether I could mow their yards or not. Big big switch around for me. Then realized that well, all I'd ever wanted to do was have an audience. So I became a sales trainer. I'd done some of that for AT&T in the Bell System, became a sales trainer, and got uh, pretty rich doing it, got very well known as a speaker and a motivational speaker and a business humorist until I wrote six bestsellers, and here I am today. That's the long, the short story of a really okay. long story of the ups and downs that typically a lot of people go through when they're figuring out who they really are and what they're best at. Excellent. Because one of the things I think that brings up, and, and I think you've probably run into this experience, not just in your own career, but so many other uh, people that uh, end up being wealthy, is that it's very common for there to have, you know, them to have periods of uh, these booms and busts where they very often either go bankrupt or close to it or, or a personal catastrophe, financial catastrophe before they really make it big. Uh, it's, it's a little bit of that wake-up call. Things were too easy before that, even though you did a lot of the right things from what you said. Uh, you know, just something happened. In your case, it happened to be the government that uh, intervened and said, uh, you can't keep doing it. But very often, whether it's the real estate crisis recently or others along the way, things happen. And that's what, you know, wealthy people really kind of get their, their start from uh, a, a very uh, poor period uh, like you went through. Yeah, people who have uh, the, sort of that up and down in their background, it's because they're involved in more things. If you mm-hmm. just take your little job, and that's fine. I put down no one for taking their job and doing a good job. But if that's all you do and you sort of keep it really simple and you don't vary off the path very much, you're probably not going to have a lot of ba- bad things happen to you, and you probably won't have a lot of ups and downs because you're not involved in very much. Mm-hmm. The people who become wealthy eventually, they typically – historically have been involved in a lot of things. They've got a lot of irons in the fire. And, yeah, when you've got a lot of irons in the fire, you've got a lot of opportunity for disaster. That happens. Mm-hmm. You also and have a lot, a lot of opportunity for things to go really, really well, which sometimes exactly. happens. Exactly. The more risk you take, the more money you make. Well said. And the other thing is you, and I think most of our listeners have picked up on it, you're known for giving kind of straightforward, common-sense advice. And during our series, we've talked about uh, some people who are not yet financially successful, and some of them may be listeners, who would love to blame their parents, their teachers, maybe their employers. What advice would you share with them? I can look at the six bestsellers that I've written, 25 years of standing on stages to over 400 of Fortune 500 companies traveled all over the world giving advice, and I can sum up every bit of advice, my whole philosophy, everything that happens, whether it be about business, money, parenting, everything, to this one line. Your life's your own damn fault. So don't blame anybody. You created the life that you're living. Yeah, there might have been causes along the way. Mm-hmm. Your parents could have done a better job teaching you about money. Without a doubt, they could have done a better job. The school system certainly 
should be teaching people financial literacy. Yep, I'll give you all that. The bottom line, at some point in your life, everybody knows what it takes to be successful. And the more we make it hard and we tell people how hard it is to be successful or how hard it is to be rich or how hard it is to do the right thing, all we're doing by doing that is giving people more excuses not to do well. At some point, you've got to realize there is no excuse. Your success is up to you. Your thoughts, your words, your actions created the life you're living. Change your thoughts, change your words, change your actions, and you can create a new life. It's very simple. Again, uh, as usual, there's uh, there's Larry Wingett in uh, in a sentence telling you the philosophy of uh, his and a very correct philosophy. One of your best-selling books, Your Kids Are Your Own Fault, the title would give our listeners the impression that we can indeed blame our parents. What's your reaction to that? Well, your kids are your own fault in that I, this was written for parents, not for kids. It's about parents understanding that they are creating, they're not really raising kids, they're creating adults. And what we teach our children um, is what makes them successful. And if we don't teach them anything, we're not equipping them with the skills that they're going to need in order to go out and become independent. You remember, parenting has one goal and one goal only, and that's for them to go away. You want to create independent adults that will go away and not rely on you. When your kid is 30 years old and is a failure and can't take care of themselves, and yeah, I go out of my way to say they're a failure, and you are a failure as a parent, if you've got 30-year-olds that you didn't equip with the skills to take care of themselves, you know what? They're not moving back into their schoolroom. They're moving back into their bedroom, which is where they ought to be because you didn't do your job. But as far as looking back, now you're an adult, and you want to blame somebody? Yeah, your parents could have done a better job. Schools could have done a better job. You could have done a better job. That's what it comes down to. At some point, you've got to take action on what you know. Okay. And, you know, with that, in essence, what you're really saying in your own life's experience, uh, your parents weren't necessarily a role model because they you know, managed money extremely well because they didn't have a lot of money. But they did set the right examples. Don't spend the money you don't have, and, and many other principles that you picked up on. So from that standpoint, uh, you're blaming your own parents probably would uh, would make you feel better for about three minutes, but then uh, your own philosophy would say, you know, hey, they did the right things. They did what they could do. Uh, but, you know, today so many parents have made huge mistakes, and uh, kids probably are going to try to blame them for the rest of their lives. So, uh, you know, I think yeah, it's important. Yeah, let's see how that works out for them. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There's there's the key point. If if, if blaming them helps you, uh, then do it. If not, then uh, then don't. Uh, let me uh, just take a quick break here to remind our sure. listeners. You're listening to the uh, Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. I look forward to you joining us every second and fourth Monday. Our sponsor today is BI Solutions Corp., a real estate fund in the Phoenix, Scottsdale area. Now, if you missed some of the prior shows, you want to re-listen to them, we maintain an archive on Wealth DNA. US. If you'd like to get an email reminder of the shows, just send an email to me, ron at wealthdna.us. We'll keep you posted about future shows and events. And reminder, during the show, we welcome you, our listeners, to just ask some questions or make comments. Easiest to start a chat in the area below the radio player or call in 917-388-4162, which is also shown at the top of the Internet screen when you go to Wealth DNA. 
Uh, our top our topic today is financial literacy. Blame yourself. Our guest is Larry Wingett. He's a member of the International Speaker Hall of Fame, author of six New York Times and Wall Street Journal best-selling books. We just started talking about one of those books. Your kids are your own fault. Larry, let me go back to that. And, and, and if indeed we've tried to blame our parents, and, and the current generation will probably try to do that, especially if their parents just went through foreclosure or bankruptcy because of the real estate crisis, uh, doesn't that open them up to their kids then blaming them? Yeah, parents um, do a lot of uh, bad things and stupid things and silly things that uh, do impact their kids and um, their kids, certainly what their kids know and don't know. I'll give you that. Mm -hmm. And if a parent is willing to be blamed, we have a lot of 30-year-olds right now who are sure dependent. I think I read that two-thirds of adults right now in some way contribute to the welfare of their adult children. Uh, Obviously, that's done out of guilt. We have parents who feel bad because they didn't do a better job and aren't holding their own children responsible. So if parents want to take that blame, they're going to get it. And there are plenty of kids out there who are not willing to take responsibility. And when I say kids, I mean millennials, 18 to 34, Mm -hmm. who are not willing to take responsibility and are looking for someone to blame. I mean, that's pretty much the way society tends to, to lean right now, is that it's okay to blame somebody else for your mistakes. So, yeah, there's a lot of blaming going on. But at some point, you've got to go to the mirror and say, listen, this is going to be up to me. My parents are going to die and may not leave me any money because I've drained them of their retirement and I've drained them of all their income because I still live in my bedroom. So they're <laughs> going to have to at some point take care of themselves. Yep, they can't count an inheritance if they spend their parents' money all along the way. So yep. uh, that's that's not going to help them, and so many kids do count on that inheritance. It's amazing whenever we uh, get involved in a probate for one reason or another. Um, that It's just amazing if there's more than one kid, there are going to be arguments about who gets the money and how quickly and when. It's just it's just uh, it, it, the greed starts kicking in there. It's, it's absolutely yeah, amazing. Yeah, somebody asked me one day on a financial show I was doing, Um, how much money I intended to leave my two sons. And I said, not a dime. If I got anything to say about it, I will spend my last nickel on my last day alive. Mm -hmm. And they said, you don't want to leave your kids anything? I said, let me tell you what I left my kids. I left my kids the ability to earn their own money. That's what I left them. My money is my money. I Mm -hmm. earned it. It's It's up to my wife and I to enjoy it. I gave my kids the ability to earn their own money, teach them what to do with their money, which is a much bigger gift than just leaving them a stack of cash at the end. You're right. It, it gets back to the old uh, Chinese proverb, right? Give, give them uh, fish and you feed them for a day, and that's what the cash would be. But instead, you've you've taught them to uh, uh, to fish, and uh, they can they can make a much better life. If some is left over, that's fine. But they're not counting on it at that point because they can make their own life, living. And is that one of the lessons that in reading that book, I have not had a chance to read it yet, Your Kids Are Your Own Fault. Uh, you mentioned one of the lessons, of course, which is we're not raising kids, we're, we're raising adults. Uh, mm-hmm. What are some of the other lessons? And is that, is that one of them, first of all, that uh, basically you're, you're you know, teaching your kids to, uh, to make a living is uh, more important than leaving them some cash? Well, that's one of them, and probably the biggest message in there that I see parents making mistake on has to do with financial literacy. I did uh, 
my own sort of poll among all the people who follow me on Facebook and my uh, online uh, list and so forth. And I asked them the question, as you look back at your life, what was the one thing that your parents failed at, that they did not teach you, that Mm -hmm. you feel has caused a problem in your life? And 99%, which in my opinion is an overwhelming majority, (laughs) 99% said they wish their parents had taught them more about money. Mm -hmm. 99%. And that came from people who were rich and people who were poor. It came all the way across the board. They wish their parents had taught them more about money. Parents have a tendency to believe that money is something you keep secret. And it, it, we, I hear parents all the time saying, we can't afford. No, what you should be saying is I choose not to spend my money there right now. So it's, you can teach your kids a lot of lessons along the way. Kids need to understand what a mortgage is. They need to understand that the fact that they can turn on a light and it comes on costs money. What insurance is and what that expense is about. And it's amazing to me that we have a Adults graduating from college who don't understand those basic expenses. And it's true. I've dealt with lots of them. Don't understand what a mortgage is. Don't understand what a second is. Uh, Don't know that hot water heaters just don't work forever. (laughs) Things like that. (laughs) And, you know, the typical American family is one hot hot water heater away from going bankrupt. You know, we talk about the big things that make you go bankrupt, like medical expenses and so forth. The average family doesn't have enough money right now on hand or enough room on their credit card to put a hot water heater on their bill. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I deal with those people every day. Yeah. So when you look at the book and what it's teaching kids, number one, teach kids how to manage their finances. But for parents, as I said, this is not a book about kids. This is about parenting. We have so much fun creating that kid. Everybody remembers that fun. And we spend so little time creating a plan for what we want that kid to know. What I tell every parent to do is look at what it takes a 35-year-old. What does a 35-year-old need to know in order to be successful? Do they need to know about sex and relationships and communications and finances? Do they know how to, need to know how to be responsible and have a good work ethic and be honest and have integrity? That's where you start. You start with what a 35-year-old needs to know in order to be uh, successful, and then you work backwards to make sure you're teaching that kid that. Good, good. I like it. And one of the things Greg Merced, one of our guests during this series, had mentioned that this whole concept of money gets a little bit more uh, nebulous, a little bit more abstract as we move into today's era because with uh, you know people sending money by their iPhone, they never see the money. It's not physical cash in their pocket uh, that they, they kind of uh, assume it just gets created from some big iPhone in the sky. Uh, and that makes it more difficult if you don't work with your kids to understand where that money's coming in and where it's going out, and 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 the fact that it's un, not unlimited and those kinds of things. So, uh, you know, it's it, it your 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 point's exactly right, and it's it's interesting that we're complicating things rather than making them easier. I could take the average three-year-old, give them ten dimes, and explain to them. What investing was about with one dime, saving is about Mm -hmm. with another dime, being charitable is about with the other dime, and learning to enjoy the 70 cents you have left. You can do that with a three-year-old and ten dimes. There you go. There you go. And so maybe get away from the iPhone for a little while and uh, pull some money out of your pocket and use that as as an example. 
Uh, again, good advice. Now, have you worked with any of the departments of education or some of the schools? It would seem your ability to not dance around these issues and your common sense advice would kind of kickstart some of these real changes where, where today I feel the schools are coddling the slow learners. Let's you know get everybody to slow down so that uh, Johnny can catch up uh, and, and add important topics like uh, personal finance to the curriculum. You know, I'm not the guy to go into schools. I'm sort of like your mean old, I used to say dad, but now mean old grandfather at this point. Um, <laughs> so they don't want to listen to me, and that's fine. I don't want to talk to them. i tell you where I had the most success and the most fun. The Department okay. of Defense used me to travel around to military bases. And I did that for a year. I went to military bases and talked to our young men and women in uniform about how to be financially responsible. Now, my style works well on a sure. military base because I can say, you people are being idiots. How many of you signed up and then immediately, because it was the first time you ever had a steady paycheck at 18 years old, you got a credit card, you matched it out, and you went out and bought a new car? How many of you did that? And you could see 75% of the hands go up. How many of you right now are in trouble on that payment? You could see another 75% of the hands go up. You know, and then you say, okay, you've been stupid. Let's talk about how you fix this. And that's where I feel I had the most impact. Good. No, it's, it's a good point, and, and and picking your audience makes sense. It just it would be it'd be nice to get some you know kind of the Department of Education to uh, uh, to pick somebody like you up as a as an advisor and uh, go through some of these messages to just kind of get them off of their uh, their current uh, lackadaisical uh, things are fine. You know, we make slow changes and that kind of stuff. Uh, I think you'd ask you'd be right asking on. though for an entire shift in the way a country thinks. And right now, our country does want to coddle, and our education system wants to coddle, and they could never put anybody in front of a group at their expense that might offend. Not understanding, it seems to me, that everything you say will offend somebody. (laughs) So that's just how it works. Every opinion offends. So, again, I'm not the right guy, and I'm not sure right now we're in a position uh, politically where anybody is going to be put in front of groups of children especially and take a strong stand on any of these issues. My heart beats hard over that. I worry about our future because of that. Mm -hmm. It's going to be up to parents doing it at home. I, I got to agree with you. Unfortunately, I totally agree with you. Now, one of the other things, uh, Larry, is a large percentage of people want to blame their companies, the companies they work for as employees, that they're that the company's not paying employees enough, and, and they're transferring jobs overseas. Uh, what would your advice be to that group of whiners? Well, we see that a lot. That's a popular thing on the news right now. Is sure. That companies are no longer paying a living wage. I get so sick of that term, by the way, a living wage. Why don't you learn to live on the wage that you have? We watch television, and and I, I, I've been on ride-alongs with cops, and I've walked in a lot of really poor neighborhoods, and yet it seems like everybody – a uh, little bitty house that I walk into that has way too many kids and way too many dogs and not enough food and all that. They all got a big screen TV. 
Yep. Um, so it comes down to at some point that you must adjust your lifestyle so you can live on less than you bring home, regardless of how, you, how much you bring home. And the thing that bothers me is that we are turning to employers to provide us with more money so we can live at a higher level instead of us looking at ourselves and saying, how much money is my employer paying, and I've got to learn to live on less than that. It's not the employer's fault that you aren't uh, spending your money wisely. It's your fault. People hate that idea, though, of fault. My book, Your Kids Are Your Own mm-hmm. Fault. Uh, everything in life is your own fault. I One of the subtitles to my book, it's called Work for a Reason, is your success is your own damn fault. People don't like that word fault, but that's what it does come back to. So it's not the employer's fault. And you're going to be paid on how much value you bring. You know, we could talk about minimum wage. Minimum wage is for minimum effort in the minimum amount of time. We measure time in hours. You put the minimum effort into the minimum amount of time, and you're not going to be paid a whole lot of money. Those were minimum wage jobs for a reason. It's not a stopping place. It's a starting place. It's about value. Right. So the solution to the, to, uh, the world's problems is not to raise minimum wage and think that everything gets better. Well, I heard Jim Rohn, and he was truly my mentor, Jim Rohn. Mm-hmm. I learned more from listening to, to his stuff than any other person, and he had the biggest impact on my life. And he said, people make $5 an hour because they put $5 worth of service into an hour, and it takes them an hour to do it. People make $5,000 an hour because they put $5,000 worth of service into the hour. It takes them an hour to do it. The difference Mm -hmm. is not the hour. The difference is the amount of service that you put into the hour. So when people want to make more money, you've got to instead teach them it's not about making money. Nobody makes money anyway. It's about earning money, and you earn based on how much service, or I would say value, you put into your hour. If you want to earn more money... Go provide more value to the marketplace. The more value you provide, the more you are paid. So I guess you would say when somebody says, well, I'm not paid to do that, uh, that is exactly where you would tell them that then uh, you deserve what you got. Absolutely. I was always willing to do everything I was paid for and then some. And when you look at every statistic right now that's on work, is people rarely work their entire day that they're being paid to work. The average office worker that has a computer in front of them spends over two hours a day on personal stuff on the computer and believe that that's their right to do so. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I saw an anonymous study, and that's when you get the truth, by the way, that said people really only work about half the time they're on the job. The rest of the time is spent socializing or surfing the Internet or doing things for your own personal reasons. But when they're really honest, and they'll only be honest when, it, when it's, they can be anonymous, when they look at the amount of time that they are being paid for, they're only really doing their job typically about half the time. Yeah. It is scary. No, I I, I agree. Even when I look back to my my company days, uh, there was a lot of time spent on. Some of it was productive. I mean, sometimes the ideas and creative ideas flow from that, but uh, it really was not productive. But I also tended to then stay longer hours because I felt guilty that I didn't accomplish some of the things I was set up to do. Uh, And that's probably why I did did well following your advice, which is – 
give more service than uh, than you're necessarily paid to uh, paid to do, and that leads to higher pay. Uh, what are some of the other messages of it's called work for a reason? That is one of the books I wanted to to to, to make sure listeners are aware of. Uh, what are some of the other key messages there? Well, the idea of value is certainly one of the key messages. Okay. The idea to understand that businesses exist for one reason and one reason only. And when I ask people why your business exists, people who own businesses don't even understand that. When you ask a typical employee why does a business exist, they certainly uh, don't get it right. Businesses exist only to be profitable. That's why they're there. The instant they are no longer profitable, they go out of business. And your job as you work for a business or own a business, is to do everything in your power to make sure that that company stays profitable so that they will continue to have enough money and profit is excess (laughs) over and above all expenses and taxes. That profit is what's going to keep the company in business. If you understand your job is to keep the company in business, then you will not begrudge the company for being profitable or making more money than it costs them to be in business. Now, how do you keep a company in business? How do you keep a company profitable? You serve people well. You serve the customer well. Everybody needs to understand their role in that process. You serve customers well, they will continue to do business with your company. When they continue to do business with your company, Uh, they will make sure that the company stays in business, which means you're going to get a paycheck. I'm amazed at the number of employees who sabotage that process and then wonder why their company says they can't pay them more money and doesn't stay in business forever because they think the business exists. The very reason the business Mm -hmm. is in business is to take care of them. Employees need to understand your business doesn't give a damn about you. Right. Probably they shouldn't give a damn about you. They're paying for the service, the labor, the work you put into the number of hours they're paying for you. It's not their job to take care of you. It's their job to pay you commensurate with how much effort you put in. It's a very simple process. And in essence, so the employee's job is really to uh, take care of the company so that they can continue to provide them a job rather than the way they've been looking at it. Yeah, it's not take, take, take. And that's sadly, what we've gotten down to. How much can I get from the company? I had somebody write that on my Facebook one page one day when I was talking about the value of work and mm-hmm. that we should all work every second that we're on the job and only do the things that show up in our job description. And if you're doing things that's not in your job description, well, then you are stealing from your employer. And I had people go crazy and attack me and say, don't you understand that that is an outdated way of thinking? And that the only reason we go to work is to get as much uh, money as we can from these people while providing the least amount of effort possible? Now, that's sad, but that's how people think. Right. The mentality has shifted. Well, it sounds like the employers can learn from the book as well because getting that communicated to their employees where employees understand that the, the company's job is not to employ people but to uh, to make money and to align them with what the company's mission is and those kinds of things. Sounds like employers uh, should be reading that book as much as uh, employees should. Well, it's certainly written as much from an employer standpoint as, as it is an employee standpoint. I give mm-hmm. you know, Larry's Dirty Dozen for being a great employer and Larry's Dirty Dozen for being a great employee. 
and how businesses and leaders and management can go in and communicate uh, that everybody has a role in keeping the business in business and everyone has a role in serving customers well, whether your job is to sweep the floors. That is a customer service job. And I talk about how you communicate those things, how you set up expectations clearly in advance, and then how you communicate consequences of not getting what you expect from people. And it's definitely written for both sides of the aisle, believe me. So it, you know, we had Greg, Greg Merced on as, as a guest. I think I may have mentioned he's a, he's a parent of his six kids, as I recall, uh, also developed this job chart for tracking projects, rewarding kids for, for the work they do around the house or projects that he, he sets up for them. Or, of course, he set it up so others can use the same software, um, which kind of comes to that message. I mean, I do feel, and I, I wanted to get your opinion, is this whole work ethic the fact that not just uh, the employer alignment uh, with uh, the employee or vice versa, but the whole work ethic and putting the hours in and, and, and putting the, the, the amount of time, not just the uh, quality of time, uh, is, is one of those things that's affecting financial uh, success today. Uh, is this work ethic and, and what, you know, his attempts to try to get it at an early age seems like, seems like a good, uh, uh, good activity or a good, good direction to go. What are your thoughts? Is work ethic part of the problem? Well, I think work ethic is uh, sort of a spinoff of the true problem. When okay. people have an entitlement mentality meaning that they believe deep in their souls and hearts that they deserve anything. It's that we've reached a point in society where everyone believes that they deserve, whether they've done anything to provide value or to earn, that deservability, that entitlement mentality then spins off into a lot of different areas. It's going to spin off into work ethic. I deserve the pay regardless of how hard I work. I deserve more money regardless of how I have chosen to live my life because I deserve you to pay for the life I have chosen to live. I deserve health care regardless of how many cigarettes I smoke mm -hmm. or how much food I eat. Mm -hmm. I, that's where we are. I deserve. That's entitlement. That spins off into all areas. And, yeah, work ethic is one. Okay. Let me uh, remind our listeners who just tuned in, you're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. If you missed the earlier part of the show, you can listen to the earlier portion on the archive. If you missed prior shows, on that archive as well, wealthdna.us. There you'll find the lineup of future shows as well as that list of past shows. You can listen to any of them, including, of course, today's. Today, our guest is Larry Wingett. Our topic today is financial literacy. Blame yourself. Larry is known as the pit bull of personal development, a motivational speaker, and a best-selling author. And if you haven't been listening up until now, by the end of the show, you will pick up why he is good at what he does. Larry, one of the key components of financial success is indeed managing money. What's your advice to listeners about managing money? First of all, get a piece of paper and a pencil. Uh -huh. uh, I'm amazed. In fact, I have yet to deal with anybody, and I did a television show on A&E about people whose spending was out of control. I've answered thousands of emails over the past few years about uh, people and their financial problems, and I've yet to deal with one person who I can say, show me your budget. Show me a piece of paper 
where you have written down how much money you have to work with and who, where you've written down who you owe and how much you owe. Give me a financial picture on paper. And they look at me like a dog looking at a ceiling fan. They have no clue what I'm talking about. So the very first step in managing your money better is to write it all down. That's one of the principles of my new book, Grow a Pair. Grow a Pair is about being in control of your life. So when mm-hmm. you write it down, you instantly become more in control, even if it's a horrible picture that you write down. You're now in more control because you have some idea of what it looks like. So the first step, get a sheet of paper, get a pencil, and write down where you are. That's very, very simple, and that's the, mm-hmm. the one thing most people never start with. So when they talk about, I'll never be able to manage my own money, I've got to turn it over to somebody else, it's probably because they've never taken that first simple step. Because if you don't know what you have and you don't know what you owe, uh, you're not going to have, you know, somebody on the outside can't manage it for you either uh, because uh, you, you just don't even know uh, where you are. So, so the first step is indeed your own, uh, your own job, and you've got to do it. Yeah, well, you've got to write it down. And the next step would really be learn some basic arithmetic. Mm-hmm. That's it. Basic arithmetic. Add up how much you owe and subtract that from how much you earn. And you should come up with a positive number. If it comes up with a negative number, you have a problem. And there's only two ways to fix that problem. You can spend less or you can earn more. And you probably mm-hmm. should be doing both. Earning right. more comes from adding more value to the marketplace. Spending less means adjusting your lifestyle. Somebody asked me one day, uh, and, and it was after I'd done a couple of CNBC specials, The Millionaire Inside, and I'd done a couple of PBS specials about financial literacy and all this. And they asked me in an interview, Larry, how did you become one of the world's leading money gurus? And I laughed, and I said, you know, I just find that title absolutely ridiculous. Pretty much all I've got is spend less money than you earn. But since 40% of Americans don't do that, I'm a guru. You know, it's really very simple stuff I'm talking about here. That was one of the very first questions I asked you, and you you said it on the flip side. And let me repeat that for the folks. Don't spend money you don't have, because that's what you're doing if it's negative. And here's what's interesting. All those people sit back in their chairs and watch television at night and cuss the government for doing that. Talking about $18 trillion in debt, and they cuss the government for spending more money than they bring in. And Mm. yet, they do the very same thing. Don't expect your government to be any better than you are. In fact, fix yourself first. When you get your financial house in order, then you have right to point your finger outside. But start with yourself. Wow. There's, there's, there's a message that uh, all I can do is put an exclamation point on that one. Uh, next component of financial success is investing. What's some of your uh, advice on investing? I would say understand, first of all, that investments are long-term. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and people have a tendency to get real short-term. I, I was doing a financial panel show one day, and a guy called in and said, Larry, his question was for me. I, he was asked the wrong guy. The Dow dropped 183 points today. What do you think? And I said, do you know what that means? No. Do you have any money in the stock market? No. Then why do you care? Right. <laughs> uh, the pro- And I said, do you owe any money on your credit cards? Well, sure I do. Well, go pay that off. Right. And when you've paid off that, then you can call me back about how to invest your money. So I would tell anybody before they even start investing, 
if you want the highest rate of return you're ever going to get, pay off your credit cards. Don't think about the stock market or any place else. Don't bother a financial advisor as long as you still owe money on your credit cards because that is the fastest, highest rate of return you're ever going to get on your money. And it's guaranteed? It's it's absolutely guaranteed. Yep. When you've no, paid off right. your credit cards, the best thing I can tell you to do in terms of financial advice is find somebody who's smarter than you and has more money than you to talk to about money. The first thing I, I did, mm-hmm. I learned this very, very on. Don't take advice from somebody dumber or broker than you are. So when a financial guy came to meet with me, I said, how much money do you earn? How much money do you have in the bank? And he mm-hmm. said, why does that matter? I said, because if you don't have more money than I do, there's no reason for us to talk. Yep. I want to get advice from a rich guy, not from a guy who's struggling to pay his bill peddling financial advice. Tell me how much money you've got. And until I had somebody say, this is how much money i got, and this is how I got it, I wasn't interested. So I think financial advice for investments comes down to find somebody who understands what they do to the point that they're worth more than you are. It's interesting. You are echoing some of the points that I cover on this show from time to time, and uh, nobody has ever guessed it. When I when I do a live seminar and ask that question, what's the highest return? And it's actually guaranteed that you can earn on any amount of money on, any, on, on the next dollar you spend. Nobody has ever thought of the credit cards. They never think of that as an investment because they're paying off a, a debt. They, they they tend to think of that as just one of those things. I'll get around to it later. Uh, so it's it's absolutely amazing. I'm glad you touched on both of those points and taking advice from poor people. Somebody joked just the other day, I was in an investment club meeting, and somebody said Wall Street makes their money. Uh, The guys drive up in Rolls Royces to get advice from people that come to work in a subway. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly The last point, uh, now, financial six. We covered a lot of the points of financial success. In case our listeners didn't catch uh, catch it, we we talked about work. We talked about saving. We just talked about managing money and some great advice there and investing. Uh, again, some some super points. My last one on the list for financial success is simplification. That includes managing within you know living within your means, which you've mentioned, and not focusing on accumulating more stuff that just ends up in a garage sale. What's your advice on that simplification aspect? I'm a big believer in simplification for a lot of reasons. I believe that your time, your energy, and your money always go to what's important to you. When I was shooting my television show on A and E, I could spend five minutes with a checking account statement, five minutes with your credit card statement, and do a five-minute walkthrough of your house. And regardless of what you had said to me, I would know what was important to you. I can look at how you spend your money and know what your priorities are in life. So don't tell me that it's important for you to be financially stable when I walk through your house and see closets bulging with crap you can't wear. Or when I walk in and I see a big screen television in every single room that are all done on on credit cards. Don't tell me that because your actions speak so loudly. I can't hear what you're saying. That's an old saying, but it's so true. So understand that your uh, possessions and where you put your money is a reflection of what your values are and what your priorities are. When your priority is to be financially stable, financially secure, you will automatically start to evaluate every dollar that you spend. You'll say, when I pull in to get gasoline, is it really important for me to run in and buy a big gulp while I'm there for $1.75? Or could I just wait till I got home? 
you'll start to rethink things. That's another reason I suggest people carry cash instead of plastic and pay with their mm-hmm. with their phones, like you said earlier. It's more tangible. I can see where my money goes. But when people track their expenses and start to reevaluate their priorities, that's when their spending habits change, their lifestyle changes, and that's when their life becomes more simple. I love it. Now, one of the tips I share, and you just touched on it, uh, you talked about everybody having large screen TVs. And by the way, another financial, um, uh, sorry, another sales um, uh, trainer, a well-known one called Zig Ziglar, uh, had that quote that says that uh, poor people have um, small libraries and big TVs, and um, rich people have the opposite. They've got uh, big libraries and small TVs. So one of the things I share is to turn off the TV, which inundates you with a lot of marketing messages. You need these things. You know, your feet aren't quite, uh, uh, you know, pretty enough to find a, your uh, your next husband or boyfriend. Uh, and uh, read some books on personal finance and investing instead. Would you agree with that advice? To a degree. I okay. actually enjoy television. Do you? But okay. it doesn't stop me from reading all the books. I, in the last 25 years, I've read over 4,500 books wow. on various areas of success, money, business, life, health, read a lot for enjoyment as well, read great biographies. So that doesn't stop me from enjoying television, but television mm-hmm. doesn't stop me from enjoying great books. I think people have to – one of my problems is that people are just stupid to begin with. They don't have any information. They're making decisions with no research, have no idea what people are talking about. I I saw a quote the other day, and I believe it was Will Rogers, that you can always tell when someone has read one book (laughs) because all of their opinions are based on one book. I can tell when somebody only watches one television network. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I say that... Television is a great source for us to become educated from, but if we're not strong of will and our priorities are not very clear to us, then we will become susceptible to the stupid marketing messages that you are talking about. So I think it comes from very – you can do whatever you want to. Read books, watch TV, I don't care. If your priorities are clear and you know what is truly important to you, you will watch with a better eye read with a better eye, and listen with a more intelligent ear. But it comes from clear priorities and values. There you go. Okay, know your priorities. And, uh, yeah, no, I'm not saying there aren't some good things on TV, but I think in, in general. Well, I can't t- put that, down uh, TV too much because I'm on it a couple of yeah, times a week. So. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's one of the reasons I wanted to ask you that question. And, of course, uh, that's one of the reasons I, I know a little bit about you. Uh, now, I left the most important question I have for you to the very end. Some people still have this Christmas lift with this, uh, you know, people that maybe need to improve their financial literacy are still on their list, and they just can't figure out what to get them. Uh, to, or maybe that some people that want to kickstart their uh, financial New Year's resolutions, uh, which of your books would you recommend would be the one they read? And I've been assuming it's your broke because you want to be, but like to get your view on that. Which book uh, would you recommend as the... Um, last-minute gift for somebody that needs to improve their financial literacy? Well, if people are broke and really Mm -hmm. struggling financially, I would start with you're broke because you want to be. If you want clearer priorities and uh, some of the things that I've been talking about here, about values and priorities and knowing what you believe in and Mm -hmm. simplifying your life based on strong values and so forth and showing how it applies to your family and your business and to your money, I would go with the book Grow a Pair. 
because mm-hmm. that is a book about becoming strong in your value system, strong in what your belief system is, and then I show how you can move that around to various areas of your life. Okay, so there's two books to put on the, uh, the list for uh, for Christmas for sure, and if not, then early in the next year, and I definitely will be trying to get through each of your books. I do read a lot, and uh, currently going through one of Wayne Dyer's uh, newest books, so looking forward to reading a number of yours as well. I'd like to remind our listeners, uh, and, and if you would, which website they should best contact you through, and I, as I recall, it was LarryWingett.com, correct? That's right, just LarryWingett.com. Everything you want to know is on there. Okay, and you're also on Facebook, Twitter, all of those things, and they can also follow your uh, uh, regular advice on YouTube. So those, That's right. Uh, make sure that is uh, clear. Now, Larry, we've covered a number of topics, uh, a number of, of, if you will, aspects of financial literacy and blaming ourselves if we're not successful. Are there some key ones you'd like to add or emphasize before we close? You know, success, the most popular question I get is, what does it take to be successful? And this is what I always mm-hmm. tell folks. It takes three sheets of paper. One, write down where you are. And, I mean, make a full list of where you are in every single area of your life. On the second sheet of paper, write down where you want to be, sort of a corresponding sheet of paper to where you are, to where Mm -hmm. you really like your life to be. And then on the third sheet of paper, I want you to write down what you're going to give up to get from where you are to where you want to be. I think I'm the only guy that talks about sacrifice, and I believe success is based on sacrifice. You've got to learn to say no to some things. We have those motivational bozos out there who are saying you can have it all and you can't. You've got to choose. You don't get rich, you give up what's keeping you from being rich. What are you willing to give up? You don't get success, you give up what's keeping you from being successful. Think in terms of what you're willing to give up. And if you're not willing to give anything up, then you are doomed to live the life you're already living. Cool. So I've been using the term simplification as part of that, but I think uh, I will maybe even substitute that or add both simplification and sacrifice as part of those success factors. I like that. Uh, Larry, it's really been a pleasure and absolute honor having you as our guest and wish uh, the last days of Hanukkah and the upcoming 12 days of Christmas to be a peaceful time so you fully charge your batteries. I'm not going to say recharge. Yours are charged, but get them fully charged for a great new year. I appreciate you having me. Thanks so much. And you have, uh, as I said, a great new year and enjoy this uh, time in front of us. Thank you. Thank you. Let me just wrap up here quickly. If you were expecting today's holiday show to be time of peaceful reflection, this show might have been a real surprise for you. There's no doubt Larry Wingett embodies Ralph Marston's quote, which I mentioned at the beginning. Concern yourself more with accepting responsibility than with, with assigning blame. Let the possibilities inspire you more than the obstacles discourage you. Thanks, Ralph, for that quote, and thanks, Larry, for embodying that quote and getting those messages across today. Having seen some of Larry Winget's interviews on Fox News and other places, I knew his no-nonsense, no-excuses, common-sense approach would be great to inspire your New Year's resolutions. Why resolve to just have a good life? Wouldn't it be better to strive to be the best you can be? Now, at the beginning of the show, I mentioned today is the sixth day of Hanukkah, and we're only three days away from the start of Christmas. Some listeners, that may be a surprise, and so many people assume the Christmas season starts the day after Thanksgiving and ends on December 25th, Christmas Day. So I thought I'd just remind you, Christmas Eve is the final day of preparation. And that doesn't mean sitting in the stores, but for some it does. And Christmas Day is actually the first day of Christmas. It's a 12-day season. You see, 2,000 years ago, 
They didn't have planes and trains, so it took the wise men 12 days to reach that birthplace. The official end of Christmas is January 6th, also referred to as Epiphany. So if your Christmas tree won't last that long, you put it up too early. For those of you who have spent a lot of time over the last month buying and wrapping gifts, I'd like to share a wonderful quote from another very wise man. The Grinch, with his Grinch feet ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. And he puzzled and puzzled till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. What if Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store? What if Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more? This, of course, is from Dr. Seuss' book, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, a wonderful children's story, probably more applicable to adults running around the stores and even getting into fistfights, knocking each other over to grab the last of something on the shelf at a sale price. Maybe trying a Christmas without all the shopping, presents, and wrapping will make you realize it makes for an even better, more peaceful Christmas. It works for me. And regular listeners of Wealth DNA Radio Show also know our objective here is to uh, help one million people become millionaires. And by the way, I've never met a millionaire who got there by shopping and spending money. Although, if you'd like to continue that tradition, it's very likely that someone who reads the books Larry Winget recommended will become a millionaire. I certainly hope today's show provided some ideas and lots of motivation to become one of our million best friends. And remember, one of the best ways to increase your wealth, tune into this show twice a month. We'll share the investment fundamentals, some great ideas, help diversify and grow your portfolio, and occasionally challenge you to accomplish all that you can accomplish. When you reach that holy grail, by the way, then work to help others to achieve the same. Many thanks to BI Solutions Corp. for sponsoring today's show. They're a residential real estate fund based in the Phoenix-Scottsdale area, have helped many investors to have income for life. The next Wealth the NRA show, I'm sorry to say, will be next year. Yep, it won't be until next year. The second Monday of January, that's January 12th, 9 a.m. Arizona time. Same place, same time. Our guest will be H.L. Quist, also known as the Mythbuster, to share what he sees in the economy, politics, and financial markets in 2015. It will be the third time H.L. Quist will be our guest to kick off the new year. As usual, we provide the lineup of guests and topics on WealthDNA.us, and there you'll find the archive of past shows. If you have some comments, suggestions, or questions on today's topic, or you haven't received my emails reminding you about the show, send an email to me, ron at WealthDNA.us. We'll keep you posted about future shows and events. Happy investing, and have a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. You've been listening to Wealth DNA with Ron Naraki on Arizona Boomer Radio. Arizona Boomer Radio is produced by the Boomer and the Babe Incorporated and can be heard Monday through Friday. You can sign up for their online magazine at boomerandthebabe.com. To reach the Boomer and the Babe, email host at boomerandthebabe.com or friend them on facebook.com slash boomerandbabe. And on Blog Talk, you can friend them at blogtalkradio.com slash boomerandbabe. Follow their tweets at twitter.com slash boomerandbabe. 
Be sure to make the second half of your life the best half of your life. And remember, at 50, you're just getting started.